This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Many school districts across the United States have agreed to pay union leaders as teachers for the time they spend on union work. Now, the state of New Jersey's Supreme Court is about to consider whether that practice is unconstitutional. In an opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal this past week, two attorneys participating in the lawsuit make the argument that tax dollars should not be used to finance union activities. I'm pleased to have with me today one of the authors of this opinion piece, Jonathan Ritchie's Director of National Litigation at the Goldwater Institute. John, thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thanks for having me on, Paul, and thanks for the interest in the issue. Well, John, in your piece in the Wall Street Journal, you say that many school boards are paying teachers even if they're working full-time as union representatives. Just how widespread is this in New Jersey and across the country as a whole? It's pervasive across both. So um, our investigative journalist here at the Institute conducted a study where he sent out requests to basically the largest um, school districts in every state. And what he found is that um, release time exists in some form or fashion in over 30 uh, of the largest school districts um, in each state, which also means, of course, it exists in much smaller school districts. And uh, one of the problems that we encountered is that many school districts don't keep records on this at all. So even in um, uh, situations where maybe the response was non-responsive, it doesn't mean it didn't necessarily exist. It just meant that the school district wasn't tracking it uh, closely enough. Yeah, but how about in the states that are called the right to work states, the states that you know are not friendly to union influence in the public sector? or in the private sector, are, are they doing this as well? Well, so as, as you know, you know, all right to work means is that you can't be forced to be a union member in order to have public employment. And uh, what we found is that yes, release time exists even, and frankly, especially in some right to work states. Uh, Phoenix, Arizona uh, is one of the largest abusers of release time, not necessarily in the education context, but uh, within the city of Phoenix, uh, they grant millions of dollars per year to their public employees. Uh, not to do the jobs they were hired to do, but to go work for the for the labor union. Well, who at a union gets uh, this government assistance on their salaries? Is it is it just the union leader, the boss, or is it the top echelon? How, how many employees will, will actually be seconded, as they say in some contexts, to union work? So the answer to that is it depends. Uh, release time takes many forms. Um, I would say the most offensive of those is full-time release. This is where the government employee is released entirely from his or her regular government duties to work exclusively and full-time for the private labor union. Um, that's very common, unfortunately. Uh, and typically when somebody is on full-time release, it's the union president and uh, you know, a few of his or her designees. So usually they're union officer types or stewards, um, but it's more pervasive than that. Release time can also exist with what are called banks of hours, where the school district or the municipality will just set aside thousands of hours in a paid pool of work time from which uh, union members can draw, but usually they're drawing on that at the direction of, uh, of the president or of the executive committee for the union. And then finally, there's release time for specific purposes like 
attending union conferences or negotiating grievances or, or labor contracts and that sort of thing. Well, how does the salary get set? Are these people paid their, what they would have been paid had they been a teacher? And can they supplement it with union resources if, they, uh, if they're the president and think they should get more money than just a teacher's salary? Yes and yes. Uh, so typically, they are paid their normal government salaries, including guaranteed overtime, pension benefits, and all those sorts of trappings that typically come with government employment. And in some cases, the union does also provide additional uh, payments from the union's uh, private coffers uh, to, to union officers. Well, you say including overtime. When you get into union negotiations, there may be a lot of time being spent that's well beyond the normal school day. Do they actually get paid for this overtime at overtime pay rates? It depends on the contract, but in many cases, yes. And in fact, there are many instances in which the contract guarantees a particular amount of overtime. So they'll say that you're, you know, you're going to get your regular salary and, oh, by the way, you're going to get another 180 hours of guaranteed overtime uh, to work for the union. How much is this costing the taxpayer? Do you have any estimates whatsoever? And what's the range? Well, so this becomes a very complicated question. It's kind of clearest at the federal level. We know it costs about, this exists in the federal government as well. Of course, this is outside the education context, but uh, they call it official time uh, at the federal government. Cost taxpayers about $150 million a year, according to the most uh, recent estimates from the GAO. Um, State and local governments is just, it's very, very hard to get your arms around it um, when you're not looking at specific instances of the, of the abuse. So um, our, uh, our investigative journalist has estimated it costs about a billion nationwide at the state and local level. Um, I've litigated a couple cases involving this practice uh, in the city of Phoenix. We estimate it costs nearly $4 million a year. Uh, the New Jersey case that you referenced Cost about a quarter million dollars a year for two full-time release teachers to be released from their teaching jobs to go work for the union. So it varies greatly, but those are the uh, those are broadly the estimates that we found. Well, let's turn to that New Jersey case. Uh, so, in this case, who do you represent? How how are you? How did you? For whom did you file a lawsuit? Um, we represent two taxpayers in Jersey, just like in uh, many other states. Taxpayers uh, can often sue to enjoin unlawful government expenditures. The idea is that taxpayers are on the hook to replenish public coffers. Therefore, if a public entity is engaging in an illegal expenditure, that taxpayer has standing to ask the court to stop it. So we're representing two New Jersey taxpayers. Well, how can this be unlawful? Isn't this part of a collective bargaining agreement? The school districts agreed to it. It's all part of a formal union contract. How can you argue this is unlawful? It certainly is part of a collective bargaining agreement, which is, is precisely the problem. Um, there, there's two primary uh, problems with what's going on in New Jersey. Um, the first is that like, any, like in any other state, a school board's powers are limited to those that are statutorily authorized. So the legislature has to grant school board um, permissions to engage in a whole range of activities. The only powers school boards have are those that are provided to them from the legislature. And the New Jersey legislature has not authorized uh, release time, has not authorized anything even remotely resembling uh, release time for uh, educators in the state of New Jersey, uh, even though it has dealt with the issue in other contexts. 
Um, so we know that, they, that the um, Jersey City School Board doesn't have legislative authorization to enter into these contract provisions. And then second, uh, the New Jersey state constitution, like virtually every state in the country, has what's called a gift clause or an anti-subsidy provision, which uh, says effectively that public dollars can't be used to promote uh, purely private interests unless, of course, the government receives an appropriate return on its investment, controls the allocation of those dollars, and um, none of that's happening here. What's happening is this, the Jersey City School Board is essentially writing a blank check to the union uh, to use release time as it sees fit, which runs afoul of that constitutional limitation. But don't union leaders argue that in fact they are providing a public service, that they are uh, easing the, the negotiations between the employees and, and the management, and therefore they're making a contribution to the public for which they should be compensated or they should be, their salary should be paid? Sure, yeah, that, that's their argument. And there's, there's two, uh, well, there's many responses to it, but they fall broadly into two categories, the legal responses and the policy responses. Um, on the legal side, when you look at these contracts, uh, none of these things that the union is contending will happen are actually bargained for, and they're not contractually obligatory. So the union says, well, they, they say, well, you know, release time results in labor peace uh, and better relations between the labor organization and the government entity. Well, they don't put in place anything in the contract to ensure that that actually will happen. They don't make any guarantees that that will actually happen. So it might be one thing if they had put in place some real strict criteria, we'll meet with so-and-so on this day, we'll engage in these sorts of representational activities, we'll do this, we'll do that. None of that uh, generally exists in these agreements. So it's not actually bargained for legal um, consideration. But look, stepping back from some of the legal issues, and there's, there's more than that, but stepping back from those, that's not what we see. We, we don't see that um, when release time exists, labor peace or better employer-employee relations are seen. In fact, in our New Jersey case, um, as we were in litigation, uh, the Jersey City School District has had full-time release for many, many years. Uh, and um, the Jersey City School District, the largest school district in the state, went on strike. Uh, during, uh, during, during litigation. So it was a really interesting um, situation to see that the union was trying to argue for labor peace, which is purportedly served by full-time release while uh, they had shut down uh, education in Jersey, Jersey City uh, at that same time. So did the employees that worked for the union get paid uh, while, while everybody was on strike? You know, actually, we didn't uh, we didn't look into that, um, so I, I I don't know for sure. I, I would not be surprised if they if they did. <laughs> well, so now the Supreme Court of the state of New Jersey has actually taken this case. Now, how did it um, in the trial court? How did the case get resolved? Um, the trial court um, determined that the practice did not violate the state constitution; that it was not an illegal subsidy. We appealed that to the New Jersey Court of Appeals which did not reach the constitutional question, but found that state statute did not authorize the school board to spend money on release time. And the, the Court of Appeals also found that release time was simply against public policy. And that's in its opinion. So um, taxpayers prevailed at the appellate level and uh, the Supreme Court granted review of that decision. So that's 
the decision that we're uh, waiting on. Well, isn't that uh, something that you're a little bit concerned about? Because why would they take the case if the uh, appeals court had decided in, in your favor? The very fact that the Supreme Court takes on this case makes it sound like there might be a majority uh, favorable to the union interests. It, that certainly could be the, that certainly could be the case. Um, but as you probably know, any high court, whether it's a state Supreme Court or the United States Supreme Court, are courts of discretionary review, meaning that, as you say, they don't have to review the case. Um, but they often do take cases um, to review when they intend to affirm for any variety of reasons. So, for example, the Court of Appeals didn't reach the constitutional question. Maybe that is of interest to the Supreme Court and they want to resolve the constitutional question, either in our favor or against. Uh, maybe they want, because this is a matter of obvious statewide concern, maybe they want a, a state Supreme Court decision that basically uh, more clearly um, defines the parameters of what school boards can and cannot do under existing statutes. So there's a whole, whole host of reasons why they can take a case. Now, look, I mean, I don't know what the court will do with this one. Um, oral argument, which we had um, in the case a, a, a few weeks back, um, uh, you know, the court asked some tough questions. So I don't know which way they're going to come out on this. Hopefully they resolve it in favor of taxpayers. If they don't, um, hopefully policymakers are much more aware of this issue and decide to uh, take the issue up at the state and local level uh, to protect taxpayers. Well, of course, the uh, the legislature could at any point in time pass a law that simply says you cannot do this, and then it would be very clear that you couldn't have that as part of your collective. Bar. Do you find that in state legislation in other states? It's happened in a few states. It's, it's happened in Washington state. Um, it has happened in Arizona, um, and I believe one or one or two others as well, where legislators have considered this. The problem, um, which I think you alluded to at the beginning of your program, is that this is such a, an inside baseball type issue between the labor unions and, and the, the local, generally the local entities that are allowing this, that it's just not broadly on the map. And it certainly should be given its per pervasiveness. That's a problem. And then there's a secondary problem, and this is particularly true again in school districts and also at the local level, where the unions are very powerful political actors and they, they have a lot of influence in school board races, et cetera. And so the people that they're electing that then review these collective bargaining agreements are often not incentivized to remove these sorts of gifts to the union because they receive political support from them. So it's this sort of ugly symbiotic relationship where um, where, the, where the, the purportedly the people supposed to be protecting the public, the elected officials have, have no political incentive to do that. Well, this is a big priority issue for union leaders too, it would seem to me. It re greatly reduces their costs. That is to say, they have to raise dues from the members in order to pay for the salaries of their employees. If they can shift the salary costs to the taxpayer, that's saving the membership on the due side, and they can make an argument, look at how much we're doing for you for, for so little money. And, and yet to, on the school board side, you know, this may be a minor issue because they're really concerned about whether your teacher salaries are gonna go up, you know, 10% or 5% or 1%. So well, let's give in on this one and we'll, we'll fight the big battles instead of the little ones. I think you're right, Paul. And then there's also, of course, the obvious reality that money is fungible. 
So for the labor union, if they can offset their uh, quote unquote operating costs um, with taxpayer funded resources or with using money that would otherwise go to higher wages or benefits to other employees, they can uh, maintain what's in union coffers for things like political lobbying activities, union recruitment, um, things that uh, advance the union's other interests. But of course they are supposed to keep all those political activities in a separate account and has to be paid for by something other than union dues, only voluntary contributions. Is that, is, am I correct in saying that? Well, yes and no. So um, first, with respect to release time, there's no such prohibitions on the use of release time. And in fact, we've seen in our New Jersey case and many other um, uh, areas where we've seen this, the union member or the union officials on release time do engage in political and lobbying activities while they're on their taxpayer funded salaries. So uh, in the context of release time, that does not apply. Now what, um, now what you're referring to is that um, um, dues can't be um, required of employees for political activities, et cetera. I know Janus case changed the landscape as to whether dues can be uh, required at all. And the, the Supreme Court answered no to that question. Um, but um, even in that older paradigm, as I mentioned, of course, money is fungible. So if they're having part of their um, operating ex expenses covered by release time, then they just use what's what they already have in coffers from dues or from any other source um, for political and lobbying activities. Yeah, it's pretty hard to keep these things separate from one another. It ends up being all one big bucket in the long run, probably. Exactly. Uh, so let me ask you, though, about teachers and firemen and policemen, because this is not just a teacher issue. This is a lot of local government employees, their union reps, uh, unions get the same kind of an arrangement. So why did you pick on the teachers union? Well, so we've, we've been looking at this issue for many, many years. We've been looking at it across employee type groups. Um, our New when we looked at it in New Jersey, and by the way, as you mentioned, release time is pervasive across the state of New Jersey. It exists in public safety and school districts at the state level. Um, uh, but when we were looking at the contracts, this particular one looked um, uh, uh, particularly egregious. Um, it awarded um, a full-time teacher, his full salary over $100,000, allowed him to designate somebody else to get full-time release. And more importantly, the contract placed no limitations whatsoever on the activities of these employees. No supervision, no performance evaluations, the district couldn't control their activities, they didn't punch into a time clock. So they were basically just cut free to do whatever they wanted for the union at taxpayer expense, which made it a particularly problematic issue under the constitution. Um, but look, I mean, we, um, this, I think it's a problem in the context of education because we know we have teacher shortages. Why are we pulling teachers out of the classroom to go and engage in this activity? But we have also brought cases against public safety unions. We brought one against the police union in Phoenix, one against the firefighters union in Austin, Texas. Um, it's, a, it's a problem across the board. So does this have the possibility of reaching the US Supreme Court? Is there any chance that no matter how this thing is decided by the New Jersey Supreme Court, that there will be an appeal uh, to the U.S. court? So conceivably, not in the New Jersey case. The New Jersey case was brought under state statute and under the state constitution, which means the New Jersey Supreme Court is the final arbiter of state constitutional 
questions and state statutory questions. Now, there is a possible, and I don't want to get, I don't want to, I don't want to nerd out on you too much here, but there is a possible federal claim at issue. Um, so, of course, the First Amendment um, prohibits public employers from mandating payments from public employees to support political lobbying, collective bargaining activities. This is uh, U.S. Supreme Court just recently took this up in the Janus decision. Yes, we've discussed the Janus decision. So, yeah, this is a fascinating case where they overturned Abbott and found that indeed uh, that was a violation of free speech to be having somebody order you to pay money for speech you didn't agree with. Precisely. Now, what we're seeing, uh, and in fact, we have a case going on in Arizona along these lines right now, is to get around some of these subsidy issues and other legal problems, what the employers are doing is they're saying, well, we're just going to give release time as part of the total compensation package to all the employees. And as you know, labor agreements don't just govern if you're a union member or not. They govern every public employee, whether those employees belong to the union or not. So if release time is granted as part of a total compensation package, and there's employees that don't belong to the member, as that don't belong to the union, as there often is, that means that part of those employees' compensation is necessarily being directed to the union, who then uses that money for political and lobbying activities. So that's a federal First Amendment issue, and an issue like that could uh, very conceivably reach the U.S. Supreme Court. So that's related to my last question, and that is, you see this issue rising in, in other states as well. This is not just a one-off um, New Jersey development. You, you, this could very well uh, be an issue around the country as we move forward. Absolutely. Look, release time exists at all levels throughout the country, state, local, um, there's protections in place, both statutorily and in state constitutions, that um, should limit or prohibit this practice. Um, so this is certainly uh, an issue of national importance and significance. Well, thank you, John, for sharing this information, this fascinating information about uh, standard practices in much of the United States with respect to release time for people who are supposedly teachers but are actually working for a union. So thank you very much for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thanks so much for having me on, Paul, and thanks for the interest in this one. I have been speaking with John Ritchie, Director of National Litigation at the Goldwater Institute. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new podcast released on the Education Next website every Monday at noon Eastern time.